0: So it seems like things are warming up in here. Is it just the temperature, or is it a little bit more than that? It's what a day of doing this kind of practice can do. So I want to talk a little bit more tonight about metta, expand out a little bit more of our understanding, and see what can be discovered in that. The four Brahma-viharas, these divine abodes, have been very important in my practice since the beginning. Uh, They've informed me very deeply, even though with metta I've had a very mixed relationship, which I'll speak more about later. But I'm very interested to see that in the last year, particularly, these uh, four Brahma-viharas have been uh, becoming even more alive for me and I wanted to teach this retreat. It's one of the retreats I was really looking forward to teaching, I, ta- I taught it a number of times, but this year particularly, I was feeling very happy that I was coming here for my own practice as well, for my own understanding to deepen into the into Metta and the Four Viharas. And I think the reason it's become, they're becoming so alive for me is because I'm realizing that in some ways the practice, our practice, our spiritual practice, our meditation boils down, at least it's beginning to boil down for me, into two qualities of the heart. Heart, mind, we can... Talk about heart and mind as being the same when the mind opens, when the mind expands. There's a a dropping into the heart in a way we can feel more expansive in our body, in our being. And I've been noticing and feeling, sensing that my practice and the understanding of of the path has been boiling down to these two qualities of love and equanimity. This expression of love and loving-kindness, this quality of heart that is in contact with things in a quality of lovingness. And then the equanimity that grounds that, the equanimity that holds that in place so that I don't fall into states of ego-clinging and ego-longing but that equanimity that really holds the love in place in, in, in the truth, in the true reality. And so, and I see in the four Viharas that three are expressions of this love, and one is equanimity. So we have love, which is metta, the loving-kindness that we're practicing here, the compassion, which is another aspect or facet of love, when the love is turned towards the painful aspect of life, when we're actually looking at that which is difficult and hard, then the heart opens in a compassionate way, which is another expression of this love. And then the third quality is the expression of love towards joy or um, that, that happiness of, of and the celebration of life, the uh, joy where we can feel happy for other people's joy and other people's success, this mudita, compassions, karuna, joy, mudita, and then the equanimity, the ground, the, the ground of stillness, the ground of peace, the ground of the non-reactive mind that holds all of those expressions in place so we don't fall into those states of ego. So so these these qualities of the heart, these qualities of the mind and heart they are, uh, have strength because of their purity. And the more pure, the more purified we are of our own uh, confusion and our greed and our aversion, then, then, then what gets expressed is the heart through these qualities of love, compassion, joy, equanimity. And so I see that they're manifestations of the awakened mind, they're expressions of the awakened mind, but in a wonderful way, they're also paths of practice for us. They're also paths that we can walk and follow and learn and grow as we practice them, as we move towards deeper and more profound states of realization, which then express these qualities of love and equanimity. So I've become very interested in this, very interested in exploring this, very interested in, in, in practicing this in my own practice as well and to, to notice ways that this love uh, gets expressed and the ways that it, it's blocked, the ways that my mind gets contracted and where the ill will and the, the greed and the confusion arise <laughs> in my own mind and working with it within these uh, practices of the Brahma Viharas and sometimes we're working with it directly with the phrases as we're doing here and i'll talk a little bit too about working with the quality of the mind itself the the what we might call the attitude of the mind or the feeling quality of of metta in this case talking about metta and sometimes it's not just the, the, the phrases, but we can feel the direct experience of the loving kindness. We can, and perhaps you've already had that, that experience today where something just comes alive for you, where you go, ah, oh, yeah, that, that relaxation of the, of the mind, the relaxation, the expansion, the spaciousness in the heart, even if it's just for a moment. Just for an instant, and sometimes it, there can be just that kind of opening, just for just for a few moments. But we know it, we we recognize it, and it's like yes, oh, I love that, we love that. It's a wonderful, wonderful feeling, a wonderful experience when our when our heart starts to open in this way. So these, these qualities we, we practice so that we can establish these qualities as our natural home, where we live, where, where we are, where we be, this beingness of these qualities of love. I want to read the um, Metta Sutta from the Discourse of the Buddha because I think you can really hear in, this, in the Discourse uh, I'll, I'll read part of it, where, where our practice comes from. Um, it's not. I don't think it's the metta-sutta that you have. It's um, one from another discourse, and later Guy can tell us which one it's from. <laughs> so, so the Buddha says, This is what should be done by those who are skilled in goodness and who know the path of peace. Wishing in gladness and in safety, may all beings be at ease. That's it, isn't it? That's, that's our practice. Wishing in gladness and in safety, may all beings be at ease. Whatever living beings there may be, whether they are weak or strong, omitting none, the great or the mighty, medium, short or small, the seen and the unseen, those living near and far away, Those born and to be born, may all beings be at ease. Let none none deceive another or despise any being in any state. It's very profound, those words. Let none deceive another or despise any being in any state. Let none through anger or ill will wish harm upon another. Even as a mother protects with her life, her child her only child, so with a boundless heart should one cherish all living beings. Radiating kindness (laughs) over the entire world, spreading upward to the skies and downward to the depths, outward and unbounded, freed from hatred and ill will, whether standing or walking, seated or lying down, Free from drowsiness, one should sustain this recollection. This is said to be the sublime abiding. This is our practice. This is what we're doing here. Whether we're standing, walking, seated or lying down, the four postures, we practice, we sustain this recollection. It's a very beautiful and powerful teaching that we have incorporated now into this sustained practice that we're doing here. Keeping the mind attuned, turning the mind to this quality of loving kindness so that the mind doesn't fall as easily into the states of negativity. I like to think of this practice as a mind-turning practice that that's not only this practice, but all the practices that we're doing within this tr- within, within the Buddhist tradition, we're actually turning the mind, inclining the mind towards that which is wholesome, or good, or expanded, or spacious, or open. We're, we're, we're turning the mind and you can see and uh, you've experienced today how difficult that can be when to try to, you know, uplift the mind towards the love or towards that sense of goodness or the connection. Sometimes it's just either heavy or we get lost in our memories and our fantasies or we get caught in our judgments and our criticisms and, and it's just Turn the mind back, turn the mind back. And it just, you know, can sometimes feel like we're picking up this very heavy thing and, you know, trying to move it into another direction. And sometimes it can feel like that, but sometimes it's not like that at all. It can just be very light and easeful. We just, the mind just inclines towards the loving kindness, towards the ease, towards the gladness. And this is, this, this turning the mind, the Buddha, the Buddha taught what's called these three wholesome intentions, this intention to turn the mind, the, the impulse to turn the mind in this direction of goodness. And this is really the key to all spiritual transformation is this having this inclination or this intention to want to shift or transform into a more refined state of consciousness. And these three wholesome intentions that the Buddha taught, the first is the intention of non-greed, the opposite of greed. So when the mind is moving in that wanting, we're turning it towards the absence of that greed. When we talk about the absence of greed, what we're talking about is renunciation and letting go because we're not caught up in the the greed. The next is the non-hatred, turning towards non-hatred where where there's the absence of hatred. And what is the absence of hatred? It's metta, loving-kindness. When the mind isn't filled with the ill will or the the hatred or the aversion, then we have a mind of metta, a mind of loving-kindness. And turning the mind towards non-harming, Is the third one, non-harming. And the absence of harming when there's not that inclination to harm. What's there is compassion, karuna. But rather the opposite, which is that movement or the love to want to alleviate the pain, to alleviate the suffering that we see in other beings or we see around us. And so so we're working with this the intention to shift consciousness, to shift the mind of these negative forces, of these difficult forces in our mind to, to this n- natural state of being, where these qualities of renunciation and loving kindness and compassion, they're naturally what is expressed when we are not caught in these forces of mind, negative, force, negative forces of mind. So these intentions are what point us, what we might call, in the right direction. The, the spiritual path or the, 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 the Eightfold Noble Path, where, where, where they point us onto the path that leads to more profound and greater states of freedom and happiness and liberation. So when we say the metaphrases, when we incline the mind and we connect back with our phrases, this is a way we're directing our mind or we're directing the intention towards this goodness, towards this wholesome, wholesome wholesomeness. It's a pointing, it's like um, a marker when we're saying the phrases, we're, we're not caught in ill will, <laughs> we're not caught in aversion, we're not caught in grasping, we're actually moving the mind towards the, the state of openness and, and happiness and love. So each time, each moment that we direct the mind in this way is a moment where we are moving closer, where we're, we're pu- there's many ways you can talk about this, a kind of a purification or a, a, a transformation of the mind as we, it's like working a muscle, Kind of strengthening a muscle. So more and more we, we feel, we sense, we land in this more uh, pleasant state, a happier state, more contented state, where the love is expressed through us. The intention for kindness. Intention for acceptance, acceptance of the way things are. Sure, many of you had to keep reminding yourselves today to accept, just to allow things to be the way they are. This quality of patience, cultivating patience. These are all aspects of love, of kindness, acceptance, patience. Many, many different aspects of love, which we'll talk about through the week. So we're cultivating these qualities of our being as we turn our mind towards the metta and turning away from the negative forces of mind. But as we've seen today, just because we reorient our mind towards this goodness, it doesn't necessarily mean that's what we get right, as much as we'd like it to be that simple, you know, we'll say the phrases and then I get love, I get happiness, right? Isn't that what, what we want? It's like, why isn't it working, you know? But it isn't necessarily what we get, and I love this uh, quote from Thich Nhat Hanh, where he says, if I lose my direction, I have to look for the north star and I go north that does not mean that I expect to arrive at the North Star. I just want to go in that direction, right? So in the same way, the metaphrases orient us. They're kind of like our North Star. You know, they point us. But it doesn't necessarily mean that we're going to have those kinds of experiences as if we arrived, right? In fact, I think that And and you've probably seen that doing metta practice can very much be a setup for more negativity and more ill will and more aversion. This was my experience because what happens is that metta, doing this, setting up the metta phrases and this this aspiration, in a way, for to be happy and peaceful and safe and healthy and at ease. It's, it's like holding up a mirror for us, and we see all the ways that we're not. But I'm not happy, I'm not peaceful, I'm not at ease. And it keeps reflecting that back to us, and depending on how. We, our relationship to seeing that and the way that we hold that, we can actually tumble into more states of aversion and negativity. And I saw that happen in my own experience. Showing me all the places that I am still holding on to, the places I want to hide, the places I don't want to see, all the ways that I'm unfinished in my own heart, all the ways that I'm unable to love, and boy, I, I sure didn't want to see that. <laughs> and in the beginning of my practice, uh, in those years, the metta was offered only just a little bit on 10-day retreats. Like we do maybe a couple of metta, guided metta, guided metta meditations. And I would resist metta meditation. In fact, sometimes I remember so many times walking in the hall really not knowing whether they were going to do it or not. And then when they would begin, I just wanted to run out of the room. I didn't want to do metta practice because I had to feel how unloving I was, that I actually couldn't reach, I couldn't feel that loving kindness in my heart. It was so filled with judgment, not only of myself, but of others. I was filled with uh, aversion and criticism and and the more that I saw it, you know, it would just cycle. There would be like a cycle, I just, you know, more resistance and then more disgust and more shame. And But the amazing thing is that I kept going, you know, you keep going, and I think there's something so kind of mysterious, maybe precious about this, it's, it's like there's something that gets touched in our own heart, in our own consciousness, that we know, something's saying to us, this is the right direction, it is the right way, keep going, even though there's all these, there's potential for so many difficult states to arise. It's not necessarily all love and light. You know, we, I wish that it was, and I, uh, that was my whole um, orientation, Was to experience myself as love and light, Um, but I didn't like the path. I didn't like the way I had to get there. I just wanted, you know, instant results. So, but yet, continuing to keep doing it and keep doing it, and uh, I would practice a lot at home, and uh, because I I felt there was truly something very beautiful in it. And I've I've said this for those of you who've sat with me before, but the practice of just putting my hand on my heart, you know, through the day when I would feel these difficult states of mind and, you know, the aversion and the judgment and the anger and hate or, you know, all those difficult states and just putting my hand on my heart and feeling my heart and and just wishing that I would be happy and peaceful and at ease And, and just that moment of of just turning back, that turning, turning the mind away from the indulging in those negative forces. And it would be so soothing for me. And also when I was projecting it onto other people, the anger, the, 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 the judgment, and, and seeing that, catching that, and then again wishing that I would be free of that judgment, of that anger. Very po- potent, very powerful for me. And then I sat a, a six week, or a month, a six week retreat, a month of it was metta, and the other two weeks were the other three Viharas. And I remember the, the beginning again, just, oh, all these very, very difficult states arising. And um, having such a hard time, <laughs> it's amazing, I just kept doing it, I don't know why. But, um, and, and I, re- I remember how I would project that anger out onto others for small things that I would see people on retreats doing. You know, it just like I not only was anger at my, angry at myself, but then I get really angry at others. Like one of my yogi jobs at the time was a pot, pot washing. And oh boy, I was wiping the pots and there was one washing the pots and I didn't like the way he was washing the pots. And I get so angry at him for the way he was washing the pots. And and yes, there were times I really believed that he was wrong in the way that he was washing the pots. But then I would reflect on it and I would just see, this is just so much projection of my own pain and my own discomfort and my own distress. And I think it was the first time where I started to have some understanding of how the inner state of consciousness gets projected out onto others and that starts to g- color my whole reality because my mind is uh, is confused and caught and then projecting it out and then everything is colored with that uh, negativity. It's so painful, such a painful way, way to live. But I would continue and because I was doing metta a practice on that retreat I was, I was asked, I asked myself, yes, I'm going through these very difficult states, but I'm, my practice is metta. So how can I be with myself? How can I hold myself with love, with loving kindness, right in the middle of this ill will, right in the middle of what I'm experiencing? How can I really take care of myself? so that I'm not just adding more and more and more of this pain on top of myself. And so this question became very alive for me. How can I hold myself with love? Do I care? Do I care about my own well-being? Because otherwise I would just keep getting caught and repeat and, and just do the same things over and over again. But what's going to bring about the change? What's going to bring about that shift of consciousness? And because this is the only thing that matters to me in my life, it became very, very important for me to keep inquiring, keep questioning, how can I be more loving to myself without... because I couldn't change my states of mind. I couldn't just stop those reactions. But I could practice loving-kindness. I could bring this quality of, of, of more care to myself and, and be more tender, be more gentle towards what was actually manifesting. And I could see how this intention to be more kind was the loving-kindness itself. This is the loving-kindness. It is the practice of loving-kindness. That, 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 that I care enough to stop. I care enough to inquire. I care enough to ask myself how can I be more loving? That's a very potent question. Not many people, some, they, I don't know if they stop and actually ask the question that can begin to bring about that shift of heart, that shift of consciousness. And on that retreat I saw that I just could not postpone that I couldn't just keep reinforcing the patterns. I couldn't postpone it. I really felt this sense of urgency that I didn't want to live my life like that anymore. Mm. And it's those, those qualities, that energy, that energy of really kind of getting it, you know? It's like getting it. And then, and then it brings about that, that, that urgency or that potency that then we can b- recycle back into the practice. But something, something has to wake up in us, or we just keep recycling the same old things. And I really got that when I was doing that retreat. The Buddha said, I searched the whole universe with my mind and did not find a single being more worthy of love than myself. Self is as dear as every other. He or she who loves oneself will never harm another. I remember the first time I heard that and I was startled because the teaching seemed to point, the Buddhist teaching seemed to point to no self. There's no self. And here the Buddha is saying, I searched the whole universe with my mind, and it did not find a single being more worthy of love than myself. I was like, and I had, my practice had been so much about this transcending into kind of a, a universal oneness where, you know, there wasn't any sense of me and other. And yet here we, we have this, this, this reflection that there is a self worthy of this love. And there are other selves worthy of love. We live in this world, we live in this world of self and other, this conventional world, where we need to understand the potency of love, the potency of caring, the potency of, of kindness, and connection with others, with ourselves. And when the Buddha, the Buddha speaks about um, all beings, uh, uh, caring about all beings, and, and I am one of those beings, it's not all beings out there, but it's this being too, that this being too is worthy of love. And as I continued to practice with with all of this, this is in, in really allowing myself to recognize all the difficult patterns within my own mind. More and more, it brought me to the place of respecting my humanness, my humanity, that I am a human being, and I am on the path. I am walking the path, and as I walk this path, I am limited in many ways. And to allow this, to open to this, and to actually love myself just as I am. This is one of our metaphrases, as I, I, one of, I think uh, Heather gave it today, this may I love and accept myself just as I am. And sometimes this is a very potent metaphrase for us at different times, this may I love and accept myself just as I am. That means nothing has to change. <laughs> nothing has to change. And it's right, right in that point we find the acceptance, we find the patience, we find the love right there when we're not trying to change anything. My teacher, Hamid Ali, in the Diamond, Diamond Heart uh, teacher, he says... Um, When you go very deep and find out what you love most, you find yourself at the very heart. When you find out what you love most, you find yourself at the very heart, the heart. We're not absent from there. We're right there along with everything else and metta sometimes, I love the, the, the definition of metta or one of the translations of metta as a deep friendship with all things, coming into deep friendship with all things. Because that speaks to me, that really speaks to me about the quality of metta, that it just means that I am friendly. I have this quality of friendliness to all things, everything, inner and outer, I'm not in conflict with. I'm not in opposition to. But I can welcome, I can be friendly towards. Such a, you know, simple, you know, metta really is very simple. The, 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 the true quality of loving kindness is very simple. Can I be friendly with whatever is here? Bringing that here. The Dalai Lama, a wonderful mentor, benefactor for many of us, he talks about this possibility of what he calls immeasurable inclusivity as metta. Immeasurable inclusivity that nothing is left out. Nothing is left out. Nobody is left out. No part is left out. And as we do that, as we feel into that, perhaps we can get this sense of this expansiveness, this kind of boundlessness, this spaciousness that that can hold everything. This vastness that that includes or embraces everything without distinction. Nothing left out, no part left out. This is the true expression of the heart. It's only through my confusion that I would push something away, that I would exclude that I would separate from, only from my inability to see clearly the truth of things. Because the heart won't do that. The the natural beingness won't do that, which is wisdom, which is intelligent, which is clear all embracing all inclusive last year I think it was last year, the beginning of last year, I was um, spending some time uh, actually in Hawaii. I took a couple of weeks for my own sabbatical for my own time and um, just really needed, as as many of us do, that, who do a lot of service work, we just need some time for ourselves, and so I found a place, and I was just spending some time in retreat and doing some creative things, and while I was there, I was also do, on my emails, and um, I I spend a lot of time in England and I have spent a lot of time in England so I have a lot of uh, connection with Sangha and friends and community there and while I was there uh, a friend and a student who I had known for about 20 years was dying. Uh, He had been diagnosed with a brain tumor early on. He'd had it for about 10-12 years and was really healing and functioning fairly well in his life Uh, but finally the tumor was getting to him, and he was dying, he was in the hospital. And the wonderful thing about email is that um, when things like this are happening now, we can uh, join together as a community, as a Sangha, and be part of that no matter where we are in the whole world. And so what happened was that there started to be quite a lot of a community, community emails that were being sent out to all the people who knew James and who were supporting James uh, at the hospital and uh, uh, reports about what was happening for him. And so I felt very connected and uh, very included in the dying process with James and people were sending messages to him for me and it was a very potent, very beautiful, beautiful time. A, a young, young man only in his 40s and, um, and so beautiful then poetry w- was coming through and uh, poetry that people were um, uh, reading to James and uh, stories about things that were happening and ways people were supporting him. And then finally he died. He died while I was, th- while, while I was there. And after he died, um, uh, someone sent... Uh, a quote, an entry from um, Raymond Carver, Raymond Carver, who is a 21st century famous writer and poet, but I should say was because he also died, he died of cancer, and um, this was his last entry from his book uh, while he was dying of cancer. And um, it was so potent at when it came in, after, right after James died, because I think many of us who were involved in the support and the care and the connection were really very much connected to our own sense of mortality and our own sense of what's important in life and what this life is about. And so this is Raymond Carver's last entry and he says and and someone asks him he says and did you get what you wanted from this life even so and he says i did and what did you want and he says to call myself beloved so feel myself beloved on the earth just that Did you get what you wanted from this life? Even so, even though you're di- you die, you're dying of cancer, I did. And what did you want? To call myself beloved. So feel myself beloved on the earth. And I think that is so poignant, how it distills down Perhaps a sense of what we're doing here, why we're here, just to feel ourselves as beloved. And from there, everything is beloved. If the sense of the beloved is here, how could it be located only here? (laughs) But it would spill out like an overturned bucket and would flow everywhere, would go everywhere, would touch everything to know myself as beloved. And I think this is something that can touch us because we want that. All beings want to be happy. This is one of the reflections in the metta practice. All beings want happiness. Every being, every living being wants to know this depth of happiness, which we could call love. We could call it love. We don't have to call it love. But my sense is when we start to touch this happiness, when we start to touch this level of contentment, this level of ease, this level of peacefulness that we are wishing for, We feel this goodness, we feel this love, we feel this expansion, this flowing out, this connection, this boundlessness, vastness. Things start to fill up with this warmth, with this glow, with this radiance. And we know this. Something, can, something resonates for us when we hear the words, we, because we are that already. We are that already. We are already beloved. And so here we're exploring, looking at what interferes with that. Why can't we know that? Why is it so hard to be in touch with that all the time, all the time? because it is possible. This is a a way to talk about realization. This is a way to talk about liberation, being awake, awake to the truth, awake to the the way things are. We we know that, so we keep doing the hard work. We keep walking down that difficult path because the invitation, what's, what's on offer, is, is quite um, compelling, we might say. <laughs> so we keep going. I don't know. I don't know if I want to talk so much more tonight, even though I could, but... Um, I just might end with a, a couple of poems. This one is from um, Denise Levitov. It's called The Sabbath from the bo- uh, Book of Poems. And it points to what I'm speaking about. She says, Don't say, don't say there is no water to solace the dryness at our hearts. I have seen the fountain springing out of the rock wall and you drinking there and I too before your eyes found footholds and climbed to drink the cool water. The woman of that place shading her eyes frowned as she watched but not because she grudged the water only because she was waiting to see we drank our fill and we were refreshed. Don't say, don't say there is no water. That fountain is there among its scalloped green and gray stones. It is still there and always there, with its quiet song and strange power to spring in us, up and out through the rock. Don't say, don't say there is no water. And I'll um, this is a I'll end with this poem. which was written on a meta retreat at Spirit Rock on day six. So this is a, maybe this is a little carrot for you. <laughs> day six, um, and it's I think the title of it, it was "Metta Practice, Spirit Rock Day Six, Six A.M." And so we know the six A.M. moment too by Kenneth Simmons. Daybreak floats, weightless like fog at the window. Eight pools of yellow light like fragrance. Touch memory, light warming the air. Sound is reduced to one bird, the rustle now and then of fabric, the creak from time to time of wood, invisibly flexing, and the almost sound of a hundred people each cloaked in our own tent of beautiful cloth, breathing, each behind closed eyes polishes a family of beloveds with phrases uttered 10,000 times by the mind, by the heart, by the pores of our skin like the sound in a seashell or the constant sound of a distant ocean, the sound of breathing, Not anybody's breathing, breath itself, breathing love, not anybody's love, love itself, utterly love, breathing. Let's sit for a few moments together. May all beings be filled with deep peace. May all beings be liberated. May all beings be free. just about a quarter after 8 so you have some time to walk in the coolness of the night and then we'll come back at 9 o'clock and we'll do some chanting for a shorter sit Thank you for listening To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed please visit dharmaseed.org donate